You're listening to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Laborde, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's not Louisiana song. It's my favorite melody. It's not Louisiana song. Hearing it echo through the cypress trees. talking about a topic today that I bet most of you never heard of before, didn't even know it existed, uh, but which makes it all the more fascinating. We know about the different languages spoken in Louisiana, of course, English, and then, and then the, the, the pure French French, and then variations of French and Creole French. Bet you never heard of a language called Corivini, and we're going to talk about that, what the origin is. Uh, it, it was spoken, and maybe still is spoken in parts of uh, Louisiana, mostly in the in southern Louisiana. With the gentleman, Cliff St. Laurent, um, who's a his family is from the native of the Baton Rouge area. Is that correct? I'm native of Baton Rouge. My family's more um out in the three three sevens. Around where? The three three seven area codes. Okay, okay. Um he currently lives in Los Angeles, which is a, a suburb of Baton Rouge, uh to the <laughs> west. Okay. But he's an expert on this language. Um, this language, which is the original French Creole. So tell us about it. who would have spoken, who would have uh, introduced this language? Mm, good question. So um, the Africans who were taken as slaves um, to and brought to Louisiana uh, roughly in the, in the early 18th century, pretty much, they kind of uh, they concepted this language basically. It started off as what's known in linguistic ter- terms as a pidgin. A pidgin language is a language that's created for commerce or trade when different people speak different tongues and they can't, they don't have a means to communicate. So what you had was different tribes of West Africans who were um, seeking for a way to communicate with one another and to communicate with their enslavers their colonizers. And so what they did was they used the French language, which was the language that they had in common as uh, what we call a lingua franca, right? So the common tongue was French. They used that and created their own language to be able to communicate with one another. And then uh, to give a, to be a little linguistic, whenever the next generation or the their offspring began to speak that pidgin language as their native tongue, it then becomes classified in linguistic terms as a Creole language. So that's, you know, even kind of why we call it Creole. So did the original French influence, did that come with them from Africa or was it introduced in Louisiana? That would have been introduced in Louisiana when we think about the time, because I think that the areas of France, uh, sorry, the areas of Africa that had been uh, colonized by the French, I don't think that we would see any of those Africans in Louisiana until much later. So it's more likely than not that the first Africans that arrived in Louisiana would have learned French and or what we what is now known today as Louisiana Creole or Creole, they would have spoken that or learned that first. Would they have come through the Dominican Republic or, or, or Haiti because uh, they speak French there? Mm-hmm. Not until much later. Not until much later. Um, some yeah, of them were taken the to- early ones. 
Yeah, no, you, you, because the first slave ship that arrived to Africa, to Louisiana, was in 1719, which is the war, and it came directly from what we know, documents show that it came directly from Africa over to Louisiana. Now, um, when we talk about, oh, and even prior to that, though, in 1706, I believe, one of the Bienville brothers, who we know are the the uh, the governors at the time, the, the founders of Louisiana, one of them went to uh, what is today the island of uh, St. Christopher, I believe, but it was Neves at the time. And he was ordered by the French crown to go and harass and, and commandeer uh, the island. And so he took with him about 6,000 Africans from that English colony who was enslaved. And he brought approximately six, I believe, back with him to uh, the Louisiana colony and he gifted them to his brothers. And then in the subsequent two or three years, more Africans would come. So we really had African presence in Louisiana a uh, substantial amount since 1710. Most okay. likely. So, yeah. so the Africans developed something that would be a blend of the uh, of the French language and then what you call the pidgin language, that their own adaptation of language fitting into the uh, the French language. Yeah. That became a language in its own. That became a language with it in its own. And, you know, and if you talk to other linguists about it, they'll tell you that, you know, it's really that next generation or two that actually uh, they give the language its characteristics because, you know, it's probably a very, very simple language. I, you know, something probably akin to pig Latin or something like that at the time. But when you have a group of people, a generation that grew up speaking it as their mother tongue, they add all the characteristics that we know languages to have, regulations, syntax, you know, grammatical structures, they solidify it as a bona fide language. So that would have happened early on, about 1720 or so in Louisiana with this language. So was this, had the term Creole been applied yet to the people uh, in Louisiana or was this a, just a, some sort of a, a slave variation of the language? Yeah, it actually had already been um, in popular use. It was something that definitely came with the Portuguese. So as the Portuguese were enslaving people, there was even, um, I forget, don't ask me the source, I can get it to you later, but there's even um, written documentation of a Portuguese government official or something who wrote a letter to someone in Louisiana to tell them that they were misusing the term Creole because uh, in Louisiana, we were applying it to everything that was native to the land, everything from fruits, vegetables, on down to people, both slave, enslaved and free. If you were born within the colony of Louisiana, you were indeed a Creole. And so that included the language as well. It became the main, pretty much someone who was part French or Spanish ancestry. Uh, I don't know if that was the proper name, but, but, but that was what it, what it uh, can be called. And of course, in New Orleans, we speak of the Black Creoles, uh, who would be would have fed that ancestry too, and there would have been some kind of French, I guess, mostly um, French or something like that, or the Charbonnet family. I think would be an example of that that mm -hmm. kind of. You don't really hear about that conflation of of um, who's Creole, like whether you have to have African ancestry or whether you can only have European ancestry, or if you have to be mixed, you didn't really get that until the 19th century 
uh, well after the Americans had taken over the city of New Orleans. Um, now things are the new stru structure, um, they're the new social order, excuse me. Um, and so what you find is that with them, they only saw things in black and white. Here we are, we're coming from a culture, a Latin culture, where, sure, there is this notion of color, there is this notion of race, but not exactly in the same way. And so the Americans were really confused by the fact that you have this group of Native people. And when I say Native now, I'm kind of talking about French uh, or white, mixed race and Black, people who are Native to the land, these Creoles who all identify as Creole, the Americans, Anglo-speaking Americans couldn't wrap their heads around that, right? Because in the Anglo-American mind, um, either you're white or you're Black. And so here you have a person who looks like myself and they're saying, oh, he's Creole. There's a person who looks like you and they're saying, oh, he's Creole. And then there's a person that looks mixed race and they're saying, oh, they're Creole. So to the Americans, that kind of resonated as, oh, you must be saying you're mixed. You must be saying you've got some African ancestry. And for white Creoles who that wasn't true for, they were probably like, no, let's not go that far. But, and, and so it was really difficult for Americans, Anglo-speaking Americans to understand what was meant by the term Creole. And so what happened was you began to get the white Creoles who started to say, well, okay, fine. So y'all are confused. And basically, since this is the new social order of things, we need to simplify this thing. White Creoles began to try to exclude mixed race and black Creoles from being able to be Creole. But the more that black Creoles and mixed race Creoles held on to the term, whites slowly started to kind of, you know, uh, disengage or disassociate with the term Creole. Um, that's really kind of the first evidence we get when people started mildly considering themselves Cajun, but that's for another time, another story. But um, what essentially happened was they still wanted to, the white Creoles still wanted to disassociate themselves, not only from being Black or the, the, the idea of being Black, but also from being an Anglo, being a wasp, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. They still wanted to retain their French or Francophone, French-speaking heritage, and they still wanted to retain their Catholicism, which were staples at the time of being a Creole. Now, the Cajuns, it seems to me it's a little bit simpler because they established themselves as being descendants from the Acadians in, in Nova Scotia. And so if their ancestry traced back to that and usually settling in southwest Louisiana, uh, that was that was Cajun or Acadian. Oh, Errol, Errol. I don't know how many of your viewers are going to like me after I say this. <laughs> I'm just going to ask them to bear with me, though, because um, all of this is we're talking about history. We're talking about nomenclature and things that are, in my opinion, have made to be complex when they really aren't. That would be um, a good way of putting it. Only the issue is that um, now this, I can't cite a source for it in the moment. Um, uh, how much Acadian is there in Cajun? Um, this was an article done by Dr. Thomas Klingler, who assessed the variety of, uh, French that's spoken in Louisiana and to try to trace it to some characteristics of other French, of, of Acadian French. 
And so in this, and there's several other documentation about the numbers and demographics I'm about to talk about, but in this, he pointed specifically to the population of Louisiana by the time the last Acadians arrived. So we know that after they, after the great deportation, um, they came to Louisiana in waves, about three waves to be specific, the Acadians did. And by the time the last of the Acadians arrived, they only numbered about 2,900. The entire population of Louisiana at the time was about 11,000. So the Acadians didn't even make up one fourth of the population of Louisiana. So, and even today, a lot of people who identify as Cajun, many times, probably more times than not, don't have Acadian ancestry. Oh, no, <laughs> no, I think that's totally true. And I've, I've said many times, I see that my, my own family, which has a French name and uh, many people in my family thought that they were Cajun and we had to tell them, no, you're not, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and they were kind of disappointed. I think what happened is that for a long period of time, that being Cajun was no big deal to them, okay? Uh, it was sort of like almost like being a, a hick sort of thing, okay? And so it was no big deal. And a Cajun pride movement developed really right around the same time as the Black Pride movement. Yeah, uh, the 60s. Uh, I think that's what really started. I think that was the model and all of that, okay? And then the Cajun pride thing, and then you had things like Paul Prudhomme and and, and Cajun-style cooking and Popeye. And, and so that Cajun stuff started It's fairly recent Yeah. Uh, in terms of Cajun as a, as a fan. But, but yeah, I don't think the early Cajuns had, uh, had that much feeling. You know, it's like... Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, it was always a derogatory term. It was always a pejorative. Um, I read um, on one account where someone said they'd rather be called an N-word than be called a Cajun. You know, and, and Cajun, too, uh, at that time, was also it, it was a uh, it applied to people regardless of whether you were white identified or white presenting or not even black people would be Caucasian because it, it kind of it really meant in that usage it meant someone who was poor and educated and French speaking or Creole speaking so if you had those uh, if if you were able to fit into that category and they wanted to insult you. They call you a Cajun. And then you're right. Yeah, we didn't see that start to happen until uh, Coderfield, the founding of Coderfield. The Conseil pour le Development de Français en Louisiana, the Council of Development for French in Louisiana, in the 60s with Jimmy, Jimmy DeMongeau, who was, um, he sought really to instill pride in the term because he himself was a self-identified Cajun. And what you see happening, he spent about 20 years campaigning and getting, building resources and connections with the people in uh, Canada, of that region, and I believe in other regions of, of Canada as well, other French-speaking regions. Um, and, you know, he really poured resources into putting Louisiana on the map in that way because of our Francophone heritage, because of our Francophone culture and our Creolophone culture. And so uh, once we, you see money starting to trickle down into the state, once you see a boost in uh, tourism, uh, then people start getting on board around the 1980s. And um, that may or may not, I'm really good friends with Mr. Herbert Wilkes and uh, Paul Clues, a couple of the founders of Creole Inc. And I wonder if that, that movement with the popularization of Cajunism, I wonder if that movement sparked uh, 
some of the reasons why Creole Inc. became founded. Why what became founded? Uh, Creole Inc. There's an organization called oh, okay. Creole Inc. Uh -huh. Okay. So I wonder sometimes. Well, I think the tourism thing is a legitimate thing, okay? Yeah. Um, and with the, uh, I'll tell you what's a factor in that, Interstate 10, okay? Because <laughs> once I-10 was developed, you know, across South Louisiana, then you can be like in, in Lafayette and Bro Bridge in a matter of hours, and they could, uh -huh. and then when Crawfish, well, and Crawfish became popular, then then people like the, the, the mule ass uh, started Cajun hauling them. I talked to the, the daughter one time of the founder Mulats, and she told me her father got the idea of this big Cajun dance hall. Uh-huh. In World War II, he was in the Army of Occupation after the war in Germany, and they went to these German beer gardens, and they saw the big German beer gardens. They had this big dancing area, uh -huh. and people would go and they'd drink beer and all that, <laughs> and that was his idea. That was what he patterned the first Cajun dance hall after after the uh, beer garden. Um, it's fascinating stuff. And, and the, but, but, but yeah, the, yeah, the Cajun thing became more popular in the yeah. later years. Uh, there was always Cajun music. Well, I guess since the 1920s, there was Cajun music, but it's, uh, uh, I guess it's still a marketable item. But the language um, that you've been studying the language. And again, what's it pronounced again? Kurvini? Kurvini. How do you spell it? K-O-U-R-I hyphen V-I-N-I. Okay, so we, we could call this the word for the early, could we say the early Black Creole language, or was it, or was it just, uh, was it just Black? Uh, well, not, not exclusively Black. It certainly uh, was Africans were certainly the first to speak it, but then you find, as you know, as we know in, in enslaving culture, uh, many Africans were responsible for the rearing and protection of white children. So at a certain point, you find a lot of uh, white people speaking it. And then even after that, even more, I think there was one account too that talked about the fact that at one point, uh, Creole speakers might have outnumbered French speakers uh, at a certain point. So it's a very common language. Even to this day, I'm working on a, a television show with PBS actually right now um, that I'm producing. And uh, two of the the uh, ladies I, I interview are two white Creole speakers from uh, Cecilia. And then there's another white gentleman uh, from Bashley, Louisiana, who uh, I interview as well. Well, there was something that um, Louisiana Public Broadcasting did recently and was about it centered around like the uh, the Chittimachers, like the, uh, uh, the the tribes like around uh, Terrebonne <clears throat> Parish. Sure. Some of them spoke would seem to be that language also. So um, I'm not familiar with that one. I, I definitely know of the the, the tribes that uh, definitely speak Louisiana French for sure. Um, but it, but it's very possible. You know, there's so many as you can see in the um, background here. I have. Um, the map that's done in the language, this is a map in Kurivini, in Louisiana Creole, is designed by my good friend and colleague, Dr. Christoph Landry. And if he even has it to where you can see the parishes that are historically Francophone and Creolophone. So, and you can see that there's a lot of overlap where both languages would have been spoken in the area. So, yeah. Okay. So, do you provide lessons? In this, uh, okay, uh, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I, I want to ask you to say something if you need it, okay? Uh, I'm trying to think what I'm asking you to say, but thanks yeah, for it was. <laughs> ask away. Uh, if you got any ideas. Um... Well, how about the standard typewriter thing? Now is the time for all good men to come to the their country or something like that. Oh, that's a long sentence. All right. Now, oh, it rhymes. Incredibly. Now's the time for all good men to come. And what's the last part again? To the aid of their country. Oh, puede lo pay. Okay. Now, now, how are ways that that would differ from uh, from Cajun French? You know, that's a particular sentence. sentence wouldn't uh, differ too much because uh, I still say le, you would say that in Louisiana French. Uh, yeah, just that particular sentence wouldn't differ very, very much. Um, so the differences that we find are predominantly going to be in grammar. Okay, so we have the subject verb agreement. Uh, of the example I use all the time is I see him. Um, so in that sentence in French is going to be je le vois, all right? Or Louisiana French, je le vois. Now in Kudivini, the subject, you're gonna very you're gonna hear a very distinct audible difference because subject pronouns in Kudivini are different from subject pronouns in French. So je becomes mot. And then uh, now the verb is kind of the same, wa or wa. So mot wa. And then we have the object in this sentence, uh, which is him, Lee. So that's going to sound a lot different. So we go from Jeloir in Louisiana French to Mowali. Mm -hmm. So just because of the, the sentence structure in the, the example that you gave, it just so happens it's going to turn out to be pretty similar. Now, where in Louisiana would we most likely hear this spoken? Oh, all over Southwest Louisiana. Um, uh, and definitely in the Point Capri region too, all along the river parishes. You can actually buy um, a copy of this map at mylhcv.com, M-Y-L-H-C-V.com. And you can go to the store there and then you can see the map. And so, uh, yeah. Shows where the language is spoken? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, all of this. So the, the areas that are covered in pink, are going to be historically both francophone and creolophone. And again, more likely than not, most of those areas all, they, they speak it. It's the same thing that you're referring to. I think the nomenclature is what confuses people. You said French Creole. Um, one of the reasons that um, Dr. Landry, he was the first person to start to push for us to um, popularize the term Kuribini and just so people are aware, Kudivini is a term that's always been around at least for 40 decades or so to describe Louisiana Creole. However, it's just not, it wasn't familiar to everyone because everyone didn't use that term. But there was a, there's an area that uses that term uh, along the Bayou Teche. And it was really French speakers who gave us this term because the Louisiana French speakers were referring to the way that Kudivinese speakers uh, pretty much conjugated the verbs to go and to come. They would say, oh, you know, they say mokuri tovini, as where in French that would be je uh, vais uh, and tu viens. So they were pointing out the differences that 
they've conjugated these two verbs very differently. So the term's always been around. Now we began to try to popularize it because it, it number one, it distinguishes Louisiana French from Louisiana Creole. We're able to, very, to say very, very specifically, well, this is French and this is Creole. And the reason why that's necessary, Errol, is because you have people who may be self-identified Cajuns and they're prone to call their language that they speak and have spoken since birth Cajun French, when sometimes what they were actually speaking was Louisiana Creole. And then you also have Creoles who in some cases spoke French, but because they identify as Creole, they would term their language French Creole and so, or Creole French. And so that just leaves you with a big discombobulated situation. Everybody's confused on what language one is speaking, uh, uh, what language is speaking, let alone what the difference is between the two. Now, if someone from, uh, from Paris would happen to wind up in, along the riverfront, okay, <laughs> around that part of the street, <laughs> Sure. Would they be able to understand what's what's being said, or uh... some can? Um, I used to work for Codafield um, some years ago as a contractor, and one of the things that they would have me do is, you know, that uh, Codafield hosts um, an orientation for new French teachers that they get to come and teach through the immersion, the French immersion, and so they wanted people, they wanted their teachers to be privy and to be exposed to the different. French-based, French lexicon-based languages that are spoken here, like Louisiana French and its different varieties and Louisiana Creole. So they would have me come and speak. And I can recall giving my uh, speech completely in coup de vignette. And I remember that at one point I had to stop. I was like, oh, I don't know if these people understand me. So I asked, I said, vous êtes ton promo? And everyone said, yeah, yeah. And so I think that, you know, it, it's for on that end, I think depending on who, they've been you know, around because there are other French-based Creoles spoken throughout the world. And then you know, there are some dialects of French that you know, may have some similarities. So this kind of depends. President uh, Macron of uh, France was in New Orleans, I think late last year. And uh, of course, he shook hands with a lot of people, including Warren Perrin from Codafil. Uh -huh. and, and so they had a brief exchange. And according to the Warren Perrin, they could understand each other. but. President Macron probably wouldn't have said, I can't understand you. But uh, but I think the French government donated a little bit of money, too, in terms of helping perpetuate the, the language. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, too, you know, they were he was likely in contact with people who were probably speaking Louisiana French. And, you know, that there's this sad notion that we speak broken French, because I speak Louisiana French as well. But there's a sad notion that we speak a broken French or not the good French, <laughs> but it's just not true. And the the point of it is that we do speak French. Mm. So, you know, it, it will be understood. It's, it's in English, a, a good English equivalent. It's like, it's the difference between talking to someone from, really from South, from the Southern States of America on to New York, the difference from that and Australian English or even UK English. Well, I've heard it said, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard it said that if someone from Louisiana would go to, to France and speak pure Cajun, that to somebody in France, it would sound like 18th century French to them. It would sound like the French that came across 
on the boat before it was Americanized. Sure. I think that um, we what is true is that we definitely do have a lot of words that we've retained. Um, I, I wouldn't think that it would sound exactly like that because we've had we've had so many different people. Louisiana has always been a, a, a refugee state for immigrants of Francophone countries. So, uh, and then immigrants of non-Francophone countries as well. You know, we've got German influence, even in the accent. You've got people from Swiss, uh, from Switzerland. There were even populations of people from Vietnam who were also colonized by the French. So there's all of those different influences in Louisiana French, right? So I don't know that it would sound that way, but I'm sure that um, you would be hard pressed, they wouldn't be hard pressed rather to find some vocabulary that has persisted, that, ha that is um, outdated um, in standard or formal French. Yeah, just as a, an aside, cultural aside, um, the Vietnamese learned a lot about baking from the French. And uh, <laughs> a lot of Vietnamese came to uh, Louisiana, the, you know, the Archdiocese, yeah. something like that. And they're like a master, master baker, and, and, they're, and here's the scandal. They're making better king cakes and French bread than the New Orleans are. I mean, I mean, I mean they're really making good stuff out here, you know, so. I can believe it. I can believe it, man. <laughs> and, of course, they lived a life that was like um, uh, the people in the, in Plaquemines Parish, and by, they were Bayou people. They lived in boats yeah. and fishing and all that, and so... And so they really masters all of that too. So, yeah, man, I almost got in trouble with uh, somebody in my family because uh, uh, my grandmother, God rest her soul, she made who she made a pot of red beans that would make you want to slap her. And mm -hmm. I went to a Vietnamese owned convenience store and they sold red beans. And um, man, I remember tasting that. And I had an internal battle going on, Errol. I had a battle going on because I'm like, ooh, I want to say this is better than my grandmother's. I just, yeah. I, can't, I, I told one of my cousins, they were like, don't ever let me hear you say that again. <laughs> well, then the other kicker to red beans is that a lot of the flavor comes from the sausage and the sausage is German. You were part of involved in uh, developing, I, I guess it sounds like a, a short movie and it's being called, shown around, it's called Tambu. Okay, yes. just tell us about the plot line of that. Sure, sure. So Tambu is about a um, a Creole grandfather who is a resident of New Orleans, and he's currently behind on his bills. Um, he's used to be in a band, and, um, and he played the Tambu or the drum in his band. And so his daughter has pretty much been paying his bills, and she's no longer able to do it, and he's behind, and, and she just can't afford to do it. So he's she's coming from Oklahoma, which is where her new home is, and she's taking him to move with them. So, you know, she doesn't have to worry about that house bill. And he really wants to stay in Louisiana, where his family and everything that he knows is connected. So he doesn't want to move. And what he does is in a last ditch effort, an attempt to make up the money, he takes his grandson out around the streets of New Orleans, panhandling, playing, playing the, the tambu to make that extra cash so that he can keep his home. It's a beautiful story about the connection between two generations, uh, the lost generation. And when I say lost, I mean we young Creoles who um, are so disconnected from our linguistic heritage. Um, so it's about that contrast 
And that dynamic there just about, it's really so beautiful because it speaks to where we actually are. There's so many of us who don't speak this language. There's so many of us who, you know, have been robbed of that heritage and it all goes back to the form of oppression. So it's a beautiful story. Now this was, um, there's a place in Arnoldville, which is for those who don't know, it's above uh, Lafayette. It's called the Nunu Cultural Center. And yeah. it's trying to preserve that sort of culture. And I, I think the new news center had a, a showing of it. And, and uh, But, uh, well, how can people get in contact with you about seeing these things or taking lessons or, or doing anything? Could you give you have like an email address or something? Or, uh... Sure, I'll give you my email address. Um, and you can reach out to me both about uh, finding out information for the next showing as well as my Kurivini courses. So I, I teach three different levels of Kurivini. And okay. again, you can uh, find me at mr.saint.laurent at gmail.com. I'll spell that out. It's M-I-S-T-E-R dot S-T dot L-A-U-R-E-N-T at gmail.com. Yeah, okay. Let me give it one more time. Okay. It is Mr. Mr. dot Saint dot Laurent, L-A-U-R-E-N-T at gmail.com. That's me. And they can and they can find information. Can yeah, you also find out information about that map? Because I want to get that map, you know. Yeah, for sure. Okay. That's going to be mylhcv.com. That stands for my historic Louisiana Cultural Vistas.com. And that site is um Dr. Uh Christoph Landry. Um, and it's a great website, man. If you want to find out all things. It, it, it actually doesn't just focus on Louisiana Creole, the language doesn't just focus on Kuribini, but Louisiana Creole culture as a whole. So there's great articles in a blog that he offers. I'm one of the blog authors, as a matter of fact. There's blogs about Louisiana history, about the three Latin-based languages that are historically spoken in Louisiana, which are Louisiana Spanish, Louisiana French, and then Louisiana Creole. There's, um, he's got, if you don't know who he is too, he, he's a genealogist, he's one of the managers at Ancestry.com. So he even offers some pre-research family trees um, for purchase by the click of a button. You can get that. And um, yeah, it's got a ton of stuff. Go check it out. MyLHCV.com. MyLHCV. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, it sounds like somebody want to talk to. Um, yeah. Well, this has been very fulfilling, very educational. Um the um, we need you in Louisiana, <laughs> and I, I don't. If you can only, you can't imagine how many times I've heard that in the last two weeks. Because I just, I was pretty much there all of March. Uh -huh. and, uh, they just, y'all don't want to let me come back. <laughs> well, you haven't gone away from the letters L.A., huh? It's still part of your life. <laughs> okay, that's true. You see, but look, never forget it. You see that? Yeah. Look at this. It says "Fit on Louisiana." So. Born and bread, baby. I'm always gonna be yeah. I'm always gonna be a Louisiana boy. Okay, we've been talking to Cliff Saint Laurent. Would you call yourself a linguist? What would be the right title for you? You know, uh, I call myself a cultural activist. I've been respected as a scholar and an expert, even by linguists, but um, that's all come through hard work and research and um, reading on it. But I myself have not been granted. A degree in linguistics by univer by university. 
But I don't know. I'm gonna talk to Tom Klingo and see what that honorary degree do. We're gonna see. I don't know. Okay, go for it. Well, you deserve it because um, you know a lot, and that's should be the main qualification of, a, of an academic to know a lot. So anyway, wow. thank, you, <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.